Someone asked me recently, what is the coolest part of my job as CEO at Clear Motor Marketing? I said, well, that's easy. The fact that every day I get to dig into our clients' businesses to learn not only what makes it tick, but what we can do as their partner to deliver the marketing that truly matters to their business. It's like being in a living, breathing case study every day. And for that, I am truly blessed. Hello, Collisions YYC listeners. This was an overwhelming sense of pride that I wanted to share with you that the marketing agency that I had the pleasure of co-founding and leading is turning 15 years old. Yes, our motive marketing is 15. I wanted to shout out a huge thank you to all of our clients, past and present, as well as our vendors and all of the incredible team members we've worked with over the years to make this milestone possible. Check us out at clearmotive.ca to learn more about what we can do that matters to you. Hello and a warm collision, Sustainable Matters. Welcome to my guest this morning, Mr. Tom McCaffrey. How are you doing, Tom? I'm good. How are you? I'm fantastic, Tom. Thanks for coming on. I don't even... Oh, did we get... Was it Nanette? Did Nanette introduce us? Is that how we met? She did. I don't always have the... I always have the need to go, shit, wait a second. How do I know? How do I know, Tom? Yeah, that's um, right. I did a fantastic... For anyone who knows uh, Miss Nanette Ho-Coverton, she is a rock star and a, and a force to be reckoned with in our ecosystem here in Alberta. And I had a great podcast with her a few months ago. And she said, you know who you need to talk to? You need to talk to Tom. He's the Executive Director of Policy and Engagement at, Emer- at Emissions Reduction Alberta. And of course, Nanette and I had quite a few aspects of our conversation around the evolution of the energy sector, what's happening in Alberta in relation to the environment and what's happening around emissions and ESG and sustainability and dot, dot, dot. So I will, I will, I will stop over explaining and just give the mic over to you. Tell us a little bit, Tom, what do you do? What is emissions reduction Alberta all about with the mindset that maybe this is the first time someone's really hearing about it? Let's give them a little bit of the elevator pitch. Sure. Uh, well, Emissions Reduction Alberta has been around since 2009. Uh, we're funded by the Alberta government. So we get our money through TIER Fund, which stands for Technology, Innovation, and Emissions Reduction Regulation. Uh, so all the heavy emitters have to put money into TIER funds. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways um, that some of that money um, can go back to them is through Emissions Reduction Alberta. Uh, So we're set up um, as an organization that focuses on technology development in TRL, which is technology readiness level. We love our acronyms, Uh, technology readiness level uh, seven to nine. So we're late stage, first of kind, uh, early commercialization. And and so we come in with some tier funding to de-risk some of the late stage technology development activities that need to happen. And that's across a range of different uh, technologies. So uh, we are agnostic to sector. We do support uh, everyone from oil and gas to concrete companies to agriculture. Uh, Our calls support uh, technologies, uh, emissions reducing technologies in all of those uh, sectors. And so we've been around, as I said, since 2009. We've funded uh, about 245 projects in total. And we're getting close to a total of a billion dollars. Uh, I saw that. I saw that on your website this morning. I was yeah. I was, do, I was creeping as I do for these episodes. Yeah, and what's that's your Alberta money? What's your so, What's your annual operating budget? You're, you're purely funded from uh, the Alberta government fund, right? Tying back to some of the heavy emitters, which we'll get into right. that and kind of how that all ties together. But what's your? Do you base it on annual operating budget or amount of funds that you have access to distribute? How How do you manage it, or how do you report on that? Right. So we, we do one to two calls a year. Our calls are structured around types of technology generally. Uh, although we, you know, we have some calls that are, are maybe less technology focused coming up. So it, each call is usually about $50 million. Sometimes we go a little bit above that. Sometimes we might go a little bit below that. So we have about $100 million a year that goes out. Um, we also have a program called our Trusted Partners Program, which is on our website, but there's lots of uh, ecosystem organizations in there, including Prairie Scan, Plug and Play, Avatar. Uh, so they can um, actually recommend uh, we look at certain projects. And we're very projectized in how we deliver funding. Uh, so it's technology-based, but it's project-focused, I guess, is the way to think about it. Uh, and uh, so so there is a, a, an amount of money that also goes out yearly through our Trusted Partners program as well. But it's, uh, at this point, not touching is uh, anywhere near as much as uh, we put out through calls. Okay. interesting. Talk to me a little bit about just the trusted partners program like that. Those names you rhymed off are all individuals mm-hmm. that, I've, that I've had on the show that right. weren't, weren't anywhere in the game in 2009 or, two, or right. 2010 or 11 or 12 or 13. No. And then we're starting to 
How has that changed just in what you've seen or from an organizational perspective with the ERA having more of that trust? Are we, is it shifting because we've got more of those trusted partners that are on the ground kind of vetting out a lot of those early stage startups? Yeah. So, you know, what's interesting is I've been, I worked for the Alberta government uh, from 2014 to uh, 2019. And in that time period, there wasn't an accelerator system uh, at all. Um, you know, Western Economic Diversification, which is now Prairie Scan, they were funding in the system, but it looked very different uh, than it does today. Uh, they were still doing great things, but they were just doing things differently. And so there was a void when we were trying to do economic development in that time. There's a bit of a void. We didn't have an, I, I don't even think I knew what an accelerator even really was at the time. And I started working with the UFC and, and um, in the early days, trying, and I was focused on manufacturing. We were trying to help companies to, um, you know, look beyond oil and gas and find really unique ways for mature firms to pivot into new markets. And so one of the things that's come out of that now that still exists today is uh, Growth Catalyst with uh, MRU. So that's another sort of name to they're not a trusted partner at this point in time. But um, what's really interesting is a few years back, Alberta Innovates and Prairie Can and some others, it was led by Alberta Innovates. Um, Put some money out uh, in a in a large call to attract some of these accelerators uh, into the system, and um, it worked. And the amazing thing now is we have this whole other set of tools, this whole other uh, uh, set of partners to actually work with. And everybody does something slightly different. Um, sometimes there's gray space, which is not a bad thing. That's uh, that's a good thing. But it allows for ERA to uh, have more potential partners to come to the table. In 2009, in a lot of ways, uh, what's really impressive about Alberta and about ERA is, one, you know, the government, as much as it takes some stick for maybe not doing some things well, it tends to be really ahead of the curve in Alberta, putting things like ERA into position, recognizing that there's some issues that, that need to be tackled and coming up with a method to do that. We were the first ones to have a carbon tax. You know, they don't call it that. It's the tier fund. But essentially, we have a price on carbon. You know, we have an ESG secretariat. I don't actually know of another government in the world that has an ESG secretariat. So we do a lot of things well. Now, we don't, or the GOA, sorry, does a lot of things well, um, but it can always do things better. For ERA, the benefit of having all of these ecosystem partners and all of this stuff in the system is we can extend our reach a little bit. We can think about uh, one of the things we're studying right now is barriers to commercialization for some of the, so, you know, I would love to say we have 245 success stories in all the investments that we've made, but it's innovation, yeah. right? <clears throat> in innovation, not everything's going to be successful. So we're actually researching and trying to understand what that is. Often it comes down to building a great technology or a good technology and maybe not building your business alongside of it because those are two separate things. With the accelerator ecosystem now and with really strong partners like, like Prairies Can, there's lots of different opportunities. The challenge is, is now there's a lot of uh, partners in the system. It can be hard to navigate, uh, yeah. even for someone inside the system, it can be hard to navigate that. And so that's another thing that, that we try to help with, but we're ERA, we're, we're actually quite small in size. And so it's hard for us to pathfind, but that's where someone like Derek Armstrong and Price can, uh, they're great pathfinders, right? They can they can help you to navigate the system really well. So yes, it's nice to have lots of really strong partners that are are now in the system. And Avatar and Plug and Play are new to our trusted partners, so we're innovating on how we do things and we're growing our pool of trusted partners. We're not going to grow it substantially, but um, we're really looking at who the new partners could be in that system and trying to grow that part of what we do. So in terms of the trusted partners, like obviously Avatar, Plug and Play, both well-known names for those of us who've spent some time in the, in this space. Is there anyone else on there you want to call it? This is also is a show about calling out and, and giving <laughs> giving people props. So I like to I like to share the love when I can. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna test my memory here really well. But um, <laughs> if you want to so do some have... quick googling here while we talk, I can <laughs> yeah, stall. I can right. stall, and you can do it. That's okay. <laughs> I knew I should have brought up my website when we were talking. <laughs> Uh, no, we've got uh, BDC, EDC are also in our Trusted Partners Program. Uh, SDTC, so Sustainable Technology Development Canada. Um, they're probably actually, out of, out of everyone, they're our strongest partner. They're in a very similar space to us a lot of times. And so we, we share 
quite a lot of uh, potential uh, investments uh, together. And, and that's really what this is. It's a, a, a Canadian Infrastructure Bank is another one. I, I'm sure more will come to me as, a, as we go. Um, but um, we... Uh, that's giving a little bit of the diversity and, yeah. you know, Avatar and Plug and Play, which are kind of new, shiny and trendy, but then you've got some more established, like a BDC that's also at yeah. the table. It's just that, yeah. that gives the audience a little obvious, like, oh, okay, so it's not just the, the, you know, the new cool. And I'm giving the, I'm giving plug and play and avatar a, a lot of credit for being the new cool kids on the block. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I think one thing that I'm looking to do just, um, you know, and not to say that, that this isn't being done in the ecosystem, but, you know, when it comes to net zero, that this is a, this is a big deal, right? There, there's a lot of challenges, regardless of where you fall on climate change and a lot of different things. This is about reducing emissions in, in terms of what we do. And so reducing those emissions uh, is a team game. And it's not, it's not just Alberta-centric at the same time, right? We're, we're actually focused on a very uh, difficult challenge. And we as partners need to think, even though ERA has had a lot of success and we've been around since 2009, <clears throat> we can show you a lot of great things that have happened. We are trying to make sure that we're pushing ourselves to continue to be innovative, to continue to find ways to support the ecosystem. And as part of that is how we work with the ecosystem. I think we have to get better at that. So now we have this great accelerator system. What I would challenge us as, you know, uh, the ecosystem to do is to find new and innovative ways to actually work together and not just continue to deliver, you know, our, our good, strong policy and products that we have in the marketplace right now. I'm talking in a very business way there, but, yep. you know, it, it's, we need to also challenge ourselves to continue to refocus and find new ways to work together. And that's one thing that I'm really passionate about. We can't just rest on our laurel, laurels and do what we do. We need to really drive ourselves to, to move the dial on, on the challenges we're trying to undertake here. Which I, I appreciate that as a overarching. Let's maybe, if, you, if we can, like when you say ecosystem in the context, it's also one of the buzzwords right up there with Pivot and you know, some of the other ones that have become very popular over the last bunch of years. But ecosystem in Alberta can mean different things depending on where you're yeah. So when you refer to yeah. ecosystem, are you talking about everything from the startup founder with the innovative idea in relation to greenhouse gas, reduction in greenhouse gas emissions, all the way up? To a large tier, uh, a large emitter, maybe a super major, who's been, who's a large contributor to the fund and has been contributing to the fund for years. So to me, I'm just trying to put my hands around who yeah. would be in that ecosystem. That's a great question because that's a, what I call an umbrella word, okay. and lots yes. of umbrella words exist like diversification and innovation. What do we actually mean when we're talking about that? So that's a really great question. And so when it comes to ecosystem, I am very specific about what I mean by that. Uh, so one, I don't include industry and government, not that they're not okay. in some ways uh, involved, but government itself has either ministries that are focused like NRCAN uh, with the feds, National Resources uh, Canada. Um, the separation to me is that government and industry are there. The ecosystem is there to support, to deliver on government mandate. Um, and government mandate talks about net zero. It also talks about how to utilize carbon uh, or tier funds to, and, and provincial and federal governments have different mandates, you know, hopefully aligned in terms of their goal, but not always. Um, and so, so the ecosystem that is there to support both industry to deliver results, both in reducing emissions and in achieving economic success. And that is right in our legislation for ERA. That's that's front and center. We we're not just about emissions reduction. When we look at projects, uh, we are very much looking at market size, and we're looking at opportunity for that type of technology. And so it goes beyond just emissions reduction. That's obviously an important element. So the ecosystem to me are the universities. They're the the not for profits and for profits now, like the avatars and the plug and plays and platform Calgary. So there's that's part of the ecosystem. Okay. Uh, then you have the, the the sort of pseudo government or the arms length government, like Alberta Innovates, um, you know, and ERA, because uh, we're government funded, but we're not technically in the government. You're government we're, funded, we're, but you're not government, and I think that's that's, like, right. that's what I'm hearing as a clear <clears throat> differentiator, which also allows yeah. you to do things differently because you're not a right. government body directly. And an interesting, you know, almost okay. exception is Prairie Scan to a degree because Prairie Scan, who I also used to work for, 
uh, where they are a regional development agency in RDA. So they're actually very focused on, you know, labor development and they're an economic developer. Um, they're part of the federal government, but they're kind of a really unique, uh, separate thing. They, they, they have different names in, in each province, um, because each province has different sectors that they want to focus on. And so, so I include them as part of the ecosystem, okay. even though they sort of straddle this, uh, line between the two. So to me, it's about that supportive university, not for profit, and then arm's length government. That's how I view the ecosystem. So where does the organizations or the, I guess everyone that would be going to an avatar or that would be coming out of a university program, how do they tie into that? Like the individuals, the startup founders, the small companies, or even the large companies that are willing to take risks to say, hey, we're going to put this in place. And I like what you said. It can have an, it can have an environmental positive impact, but it also has to be economically viable or it's just not going to stick around. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And we report on our jobs. We report on revenue. Uh, you know, we report on a lot of different things. We're actually quite a transparent uh, organization. So to me, you know, I've, government's tried, again, I've been, been around the government world since 2014. Uh, they've tried different tools to help industry uh, connect better into the system because it's complicated. Alberta Innovates has some things, NRCI RAP uh, has some offerings, Prairies Can. ERA, like really when you think about it and you, then you go look at static websites, it can be difficult to know how big of a challenge you're actually facing as an entrepreneur to try to really connect well into the system, um, especially when you're small. Uh, so again, you know, what ERA is talking a lot about how can we best support SMEs? Not that we don't try to support them now, but we, we can't create different set of rules for SMEs than a big company like a Suncor, for instance, yeah. right? That that wouldn't be fair process. But yet, at the same time... Those are two very, very different vehicles. <laughs> yeah. Or, so, or, yeah. And, and both uh, SMEs and large companies will apply for our funding. So we're constantly trying to uh, figure out ways to make it easier. But that is a challenge, right? And so what I would say to SMEs is get to know the people who are your advocates. I, I talk a lot about the coalition of the willing uh, so, yes, there are lots of organizations and yes, it is difficult to assess them all, even when you're in the system and understand where best to go when you're looking for funding. That is a challenge. But if you network within that ecosystem, even just a little bit, you're going to find the avatars, you're going to find Tyler, you're going to find Nanette, you're going to find Derek Armstrong. So, uh, yeah, that's, I was going to say, Derek, just, just having a conversation with Derek will open yeah. your eyes to a whole bunch of things that are going on. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, uh, my boss, uh, Justin Reimer, um, you know, goes all the way up to CEO level in these organizations like these. We are all committed to helping you. What Alberta companies are much better at now, I think this has also evolved, but what we were terrible at back in the day was showing up, going to events. Um, networking. We did, we never needed to. The market was so strong for so long, even when it dipped, even in the 80s when it dipped, we were so hyper-focused and we had a way of doing business and we had a strong market to service. And most of the time, our challenge was how do we keep up with demand versus how do we attract uh, new clients, right? So we had to grow. We've had to grow. I mean, one of the, if there's any benefit to some of the downturn that we've been through, is that we've had to reach out and we now have an accelerator system and we have these opportunities. What we need to get better at as Alberta uh, 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 entrepreneurs, uh, and we've always needed to be good at this, we just didn't necessarily have to be, <laughs> is networking, is is looking outside the box. And I think now those tools are there and the people are there. There's some phenomenal people in the system that are there to help and to help guide you. And you just need to connect with them and, and um that's a good starting point at any point in time. Yeah, I certainly, you know, I do. Some people argue with me on it. I said, I believe it's one of our superpowers here in Alberta, that ability to go, well, I can't help you, but I know someone who will. And, and then, yeah. and then they will actually make an introduction. There yeah. is a, you know, I, I grew up, I grew up out East and you've got your circle and your community, which are very supportive. But once you go outside that, there's a little, there's a wall that goes up sometimes. Like, oh, yeah. I don't know you. I'm not sure. Are you any value to me? I have never found that wall here in Alberta. I've been very fortunate to, 
know, even starting this podcast, people are like, oh, it must be so hard to get guests. I'm like, I get guests all the time. Exactly how I met you, where someone goes, hey, you know who you need to talk to? That yeah. happens throughout the business cycle as well. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think it's a, representative, a representation of how willing we are to support other people because there is still a sense of abundance in this province. Even when we had a downturn, I do believe there is a rising tides philosophy. And I've seen it time and time again. Yeah, it's interesting because I, I started my career in aviation. Oh, that's right. Uh, which is a weird, yeah, yeah. yeah, which is a weird place to start a career in Alberta. But I grew up in the 80s and I wasn't interested in going into oil and gas because my parents didn't do well through that downturn. So I had some lived experience as a, as a you know, teenager, I guess, that I was like, man, I, what am I going to do for a living? Well, I certainly don't want to go into oil and gas. I, I don't and, want and, that to happen to me, right? As you yeah, watch the people it, around you being your, your parents. Uh, yeah. That, that, was, that, those are formative years when you witness things like that. Absolutely. absolutely. And and I feel in some ways we're going through something really similar in that today, except now the world is kind of questioning whether you should be in oil and gas as well. And uh, I think that's wrong for so many different reasons that we don't really want to probably go yes, down that, that might be a, that might be a whole different podcast we open but up let's now. have a <laughs> let's have a different conversation around that but the, the reason i bring that up is in aviation uh even though that that community in alberta was really small it was hyper competitive we were all going for the same business and at the time back in you know the 90s um there was different generations than are even in the, the workplace today, right? Mm-hmm. We still had the traditionalists that, I, well, that's what I call them anyways, the generation before the boomers yeah. were still in, and they were leading a lot of these companies. A lot of them had military backgrounds. You know, there was ways of doing things and you... There was you a right hyper. way and a wrong way, Tom. <laughs> yeah. And, well, if you if you didn't like your job, it was a revolving door. Someone else will come in and do it. And, yeah. you know, there was a, a, a really different, different It was a different attitude. world in general. And, and that sector, one, it taught me a ton. Like, that's where I learned how to run a business. That's where I learned how to be a supply chain person, although we didn't call it that uh, back in the day. And so, so my base foundational experience was there. What I love about the energy sector as a whole is that it does have the rising tide raises all boats mentality. And fundamentally in aviation, maybe it's different now because it's been a while since I've been there, but they didn't at the time and they didn't for a very long time because I was in that business for almost 20 years as an executive. And the challenge is ecosystems don't work well when the companies that could buy into that ecosystem are are so hyper-competitive, they're not willing to share not, not what's going on. Not willing to participate. Mm-hmm. They're not willing to work together and they're not even willing to talk to each other. They'll sit in the room together, but they really don't like each other. What I loved about energy, when I finally left aviation and got in, I, I ran a steel manufacturing company um, called Planes Fabrication for a while. And there was things about energy that didn't make sense to me, especially from a supply chain perspective. I don't think they they do uh, enough in a lot of, and that's a whole other conversation we can have sometime around supply chain. But um, the, the thing that I loved was they were willing to show up together. They were willing to talk about their problems and genuinely try to find solutions to them. And that's where something like Pathways has now sprung up. We, you know, that's where, that's why the accelerator system has been so successful because, you know, you look at the big companies buying into the Energy Transition Center and really, you know, wanting to participate in that, that is unique. And so sectors like that, for me, especially as a recovering economic developer, <laughs> I'm so passionate about helping them because they want to help and they're willing to show up and they're willing to talk. And so, you know, when I, when I think about what's there, not just for the energy ecosystem, because again, the ecosystem's agnostic, it will help any company. But so often in Alberta, we're still focused on trying to attract a big customer. What's great about Alberta now is we have more and more big customers that are in more and more uh, unique sectors, even outside of energy. But they still have emissions reduction issues that they have to deal with as well. And so, you know, we're becoming more and more blessed as a province in a lot of ways to have these opportunities to work with big companies who are willing to open the door and work with smaller companies. Uh, It can be choppy can be difficult yeah. but again that's that's where a lot of us are here to try to support well even that's you know the plug and play model when i got introduced to that and really understood what they were trying to do and made a lot of sense i was at the event i was at adventures and they were speaking uh, kevin was speaking and they had the big company in the middle and then they had the two small vendors side by side and they really walked through how they all helped each other work together 
and how much challenges they had of the big working with small and small working with big just for lack yeah. of to oversimplify that. So, Hey, let's, let's, let's go down the rabbit hole a little bit, you know, out of those 245 projects that you guys have done over the last X amount of years, maybe we'll talk about a big one or maybe talk about a smaller one, but what are the, some of the ones that, that jump to mind for you that can be a really good example or representation of, well, Hey, here's what we do in action. Here's where it actually works. Anything you want to share that's uh, also, this show's all about telling stories about positive things that oftentimes never make the news or it was one headline on a Tuesday that you didn't read, but yet I'm on your website and there's lots of projects on here. Anything that like really sh- jumps to mind for you that's a good example of the impact you've been able to have? And again, just something you guys are proud of <clears throat> as well. Mm-hmm. Well, I think one of um, you know our, our big, exciting projects uh, for us right now is Blind Man Brewing. Okay. Um, and because uh, we all love beer, of course. <laughs> no, and, no, I, uh, yeah, I feel you're picking this one very, this is a very select <laughs> choice on this one. <laughs> um, we we are, um, you know, supporting some carbon capture uh, in that space. We, we've kicked off our carbon capture kickstart program, which is which is much bigger than that. It's, there's a lot of feed studies uh, that are happening on the carbon capture side. So that's something for us that... Um, so I've been with ERA for 10 months now, and there's so much to understand about ERA's history and so much that's ongoing. I'm, I'm still I'm still learning. What I'm so impressed by is, you know, are the calls that have happened since I've been around uh, our industrial transformation call, um, you know, had some amazing projects. That was that was part of it. If you actually look again and it's, it's all on our website, but if you look at the scope of the types of things we invest in, it's really impressive. One of the things um, I think is another big success story for ERA, which is maybe a little outside of the projects. And the only reason I'm not going into specifics on projects is one, I don't have them all committed to memory and they're all actually. <laughs> there, there's a lot on your website as I'm saying. There's a lot of videos. Totally, yeah. You can go and see, you know, the specifics. But, you know, maybe what I'd like to talk about or just give you a little sense of is because ERA has been around since 2009. Uh, we've been doing this for longer than anyone else I know of investing, um, you know, tier funds into, um, late stage emissions reducing technologies. Everyone's jumping into the pool now. You know, you have the, uh, the IRA, uh, in the U S, uh, the inflation reduction act, putting huge dollars into, you know, doing what we do here uh, and have done for a long time in Alberta and in many ways dwarfing. What we do in a very short amount of time. It's a completely different scope and scale we're talking about when you go south of the border. (laughs) Well, what's great about ERA is that we're willing to share. And that's why everything's up on our website. So not only are we willing to share, hey, here's what we know about the things we've invested in, the types of technologies that are going to help you, you know, uh, Department of Energy in the US or Innovate UK in the UK. we're here to, we're, we're starting to build as ERA. Uh, I talked before about doing things differently in our ecosystem. Well, we're actually doing that in the international ecosystem. We're actually sharing Alberta's story uh, mm-hmm. and the benefits of the projects we do, the way that we deliver funds. Um, we're actually going to make our data open source, uh, all with the intent of helping others to get up to speed faster so that they too can have projects that they've invested in that they're really proud of. And so my team is, you know, right now um, we have lots of data, uh, which, you know, always sounds like a great thing until you <laughs> go to try to do something yes. with it. Uh, we're wanting to to put a lot of utility into the way we share that data. Cause as a supply chain guy, um, I've been told about how great, you know, data is my entire career. And I can tell you that it has a lot of interesting things about it, but if you don't know how to analyze it and you don't know what questions to ask it, uh, it isn't really all that helpful other than being a spreadsheet. You can, you can spend your life looking at. So we are focused really hard on the data from our projects and how that can actually help uh, both the international community. Because again, I think this is a, a big, broad team game. And I think we get too locked into Alberta. The uh, Canadian government can get too locked into Canada. And I think they somewhat think outside of those borders, but they're not doing enough at times. We're not doing enough at times. So how can we utilize the information we have and what we know about investing in projects that have emissions reduction benefits uh, and work together to, you know, continue down this path? 
I really appreciate the concept, like, you know, you have a business, well, what's your mode and what's your proprietary and what are you protecting and what are you trying to, you know, keep locked up because that makes you unique and it's your secret sauce. But when you look at your overarching mandate, that ability to share data and have data shared back with you is how you create your value proposition by actually opening the kimono or using whatever, uh, whatever catchphrase you want to use. It's just such a different mindset to think about, like, we're all going to get way farther ahead if we share this, which is what you alluded to even in the energy sector, being a little more collaborative than, than say, the aviation sector. Yeah. And is that getting more so? Are we getting to a point now where, like, sharing data is becoming, I don't want to use the word expectation, but that it's not as, you know, calling up and going, okay, I'm going to ask them if they're going to share their data. This is going to be awkward. No, actually, it's expected and it's open and people are putting it out there to go, hey, we have a bunch of data. Do you want to check it out? Because you might see something in it that we didn't see. Well, it's common for ERA because it's actually baked into, if you sign up to receive ERA funds because they're public dollars, the expectation is that there's going to be That's the um, elements of your project that are going to be for public consumption. And that's always been the case, right, right from day one. And so even in our, you know, carbon capture kickstart, we're doing, you know, we often don't fund feed studies at a very early stage, but uh, ERA is always is you know looking really far down the road and and trying to find ways to make sure that we're supporting the evolution of CCS in lots of different ways. So those feed studies have a big element, and and um, Grace uh, Michael, who's one of our uh, internal technology uh, experts here, has really done a lot of work on structuring um, how we're going to receive this data, what kind of information we're going to get how to then be able to share that. And, you know, again, these companies are trying to keep their doors open and do work, and they're trying to do something really unique like a, uh, a CCS project. And so it's hard sometimes to extract. You know, we have to come up with systems and ways to work with them. And so I think it's common, but I think what we fail to recognize, we think that, that data gets collected just as an act of what we do. Um, and to some degree, that's correct if you're using digital tools. but we all use digital tools and we have shortcuts and game and we've gamified ways to yeah. utilize those digital tools. And so it gives you information. Um, but I think, you know, again, uh, data is a great umbrella word. Um, it's another great umbrella word. And I think it just gets overused. And again, you know, I, I always say I don't run spreadsheets. I run people and people run spreadsheets. So as a manager, as a, spent my a lot of my 20 plus years in industry as a general manager so you know what does that mean well i'm a i'm an advisor you know both to the executive team and to the board i'm a strategist i've always been that that's really part of who i am um but i know how to operationalize strategy and that's that's i guess the secret thing about me yeah. that unique i don't like to say nice things about myself so like it's hot <laughs> in my throat as i say that but i know how to I operationalize that, strategy yeah. Um, and, you know, I think at the end of the day, that's, um, those are things that we really need to bring to the table when, um, you know, we're working through these, these types of problems. And, um, you know, so it's, it's kind of an exciting time, I guess, to be in this space, but it's also a really challenging one because there's so many different strategies, uh, that aren't linked together. There's, there's so many different operations that aren't linked together, but in a way we're trying to, to bring all those pieces together. So, you know, for when it comes to data, um, the, the trick is to get into your operations, uncover what's actually happening and really collect that data. But then you have to have the people that can actually analyze that data properly. And I think that's really the piece that's often missing is, Hey, here's the data. Nobody really knows how to read it. And so well, again, we're as ERA, we're trying to get beyond that. How many years, five, seven years ago, the front cover of, you know, I remember Harvard Business Review when I used to get the physical copy was data, the future. And, you know, how many years have we been talking that way? Just curious. And I, I like this because you're new to the team. You've been there for 11, you know, less than a year. But the ERA has been around since 2009, before 2030 goals, before 2050, before so many things, I guess. As you got on board with the organization, I always find if any, any new team member, there's that unique opportunity because you're asking all the questions because you're like, I don't know, like, I don't have any organizational just expectations around, well, this is the way we've always done it. How much has, how much has the organization, the ERA changed just even as you're coming into the role that you were hired for versus, you know, as you're onboarding, you're looking at the history and there's been a whole bunch more external factors show up in the world that we live in 
that were not in place in 2009 or 2010 or 2011, which I, you know, when you think about it, kudos for the province, the government for putting this in place before it was the trendy thing to put in place. I'm not trying to minimize it, but we all know you, you know, you can't walk down the street with getting hit by the word, by the acronym of ESG or just the overarching or almost overused umbrella word of sustainability. What did you discover kind of getting on board with the organization of the journey that the, that, that the ERA has been on uh, even from to that 2010 till now? Yeah, that's an amazing question. And because we've had some recent growth as well, which is kind of atypical for ERA. So ERA, as I said, is a very small organization. Um, it was, you know, it had uh, back in the day when it started, it, it didn't even really have an employee. Um, it was set up as, you know, people came to work as uh, contractors to a degree okay. or consultants yep. to a degree. And so in the early years, uh, you know, in 2009, long before we knew what working from home even meant, <laughs> this was, you know, truly an organization that was building something phenomenal, but doing it uh, Interesting. You know, okay. yeah. in a work from home setting. But, so obviously before before that was the cool trendy thing to do. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And so, so that's evolved. What's been amazing to me, so I've walked into, I'm usually the guy that you call when you're saying, uh, both. So in industry, I'm the guy you call when you say, Tom, I need to grow. And I've, and you know, and, and I've grown to this degree into this size, but I know I can do more, but I don't know how to get there. I don't know how to get from where I am today to where I need to go. And so often that's not about what you do. It's about how you do what you do, the structure of what you do. And it's actually not even about what you do today. It's what you do in five years from now. So it starts with often not having a strategy. And then it also starts with not really fully understanding all the functions within your business. And getting those two things right is what helps you to ultimately to grow. So in my industry career, I usually walk in and a lot of things are missing. In government, it's a little bit similar. My government career in a way is kind of like, hey, we have these big problems in manufacturing or clean tech to solve. We don't really, we have some thoughts, but we need someone to come in and look under the hood and tell us how to build a clean tech cluster, right? The Energy Transition Center is a great example of on day one, when Derek and I started working together, that thing didn't exist in the form that it does today. And don't get me wrong, I'm not taking credit for it because Kevin and Brian and the UC, they've done a phenomenal job. I'm not taking credit for that. But at day one, when we were saying, well, how do we build a clean tech cluster? What does that look like? Mm-hmm. Um, and then we started working through nuclear and all these different things. Um, the reality of trying to figure that out, um, again, is kind of where I come in. Yep. ERA is the first job I've ever walked into where there's a phenomenal strategy. It exists. It's existed for a long time. It's been iterated multiple times. Uh, it's a small team. So I was working in hydrogen stuff for almost two years with Prairie Scan. Didn't know that ERA had been there three years before. And if it wasn't for ERA doing the work that they did in the early stages, three years before anyone started talking about hydrogen. And that's where, you know, Mark Summers and Steve McDonald and, and Heather uh, Stevens and uh, Isabella uh, Tarasco on my team and Grace and Chris, like these folks were a small team doing it incredible things long before anybody knew what they were really doing and they were strategizing and they were finding it's like, it's an amazing thing to unpack. Normally I'm coming in with a fire hose, right? (laughs) And normally I'm looking at people who are putting out, you know, a fire in a garbage can and the walls around them are on fire. ERA is the first time I've come in and went, do they need me? (laughs) It's my skill set. Yeah. Yeah. You know, is my skill set. Uh, necessary here, and and it is in a way because they are growing, right? So as I've as I've come in, I'm but they're, going, but they're oh, growing from a stable place, not a. I that's love right. The, uh, you're putting out a fire in the garbage can while the balls are falling. That's a great. Yeah. I will use that later today, Tom. I hope you're okay with that. I like that one. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's absolutely fine. <laughs> I, I I'm sure I stole it from somebody. Yeah, I like it. I like it though. It, um, it, it captures it real quick. You don't. Need, I don't need to ask you to explain. <laughs> So, so with ERA, you know, we have our technology roadmap, which we're just about, I'm re- really excited because I now get to start to help out on some of the strategic thinking that we're going to be doing as an organization. And of course, I have ideas about how that could be done differently and, you know, things that we would maybe do that we didn't do in the past. And even with our performance management and our calls where my team is, is mostly new, 
Um, and so ERA isn't going to expand much more than we are, and, and we've only expanded a little bit. So we're still a really small team. We have to be really accurate of what we say no to and what we say yes to. We can because we can't as much as we'd love to do everything we can. So again, that's that's an area for me. I mean, having been the inventor of what I used to call the no board, um, you know, I worked for someone who wanted to do it all, and I want to do it all, and we were driving people crazy trying to do it all. So we invented the no board, started using four disciplines of execution, and you know, so that's what I've started to maybe bring a little bit to the table is just past experience of how do we grow without driving people crazy? How do we improve incrementally on the things that we already do really, really well? Um, and I, and so that's the lens I'm trying to cast. And then, you know, culturally, that's the challenge too, is you got this phenomenal team of people who, to be honest with you, I don't know how they did it. I don't know how they accomplished what they did. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm a pretty transparent guy. So if, if I didn't think that I probably wouldn't be saying it, but I'm <laughs> daily impressed by what I see these people have accomplished. A big part of what we have to do is not not screw it up um and so culturally what i recognize is and having been through this with organizations that go through growth they're built on good people doing good things those good things that they're doing start to evolve and change and it can get real frustrating real fast when someone's telling you well we need to do strategy or we need to do strategy like you have to be really careful in your end trust me i don't always choose my words as well as i should so i step on my own feet a lot of times but you know evolving a culture is really challenging and we have a very strong and positive one. Um, again, that's a role that I hope I'm playing within the organization and, and being someone that wants to continue to incrementally improve what we're doing. Um, but to highlight the stuff that's there, I think that's the other thing is so busy doing great things, really hard to get out there. And so when I did, you know, tell when us, I interviewed, tell, tell the story, tell the story, when I interviewed for the role, you know, they, I, I think I was a little bit, um, knowing what I know now, I didn't say the right words at that time. because <laughs> but, but they, they clearly saw past it, though, Tom. <laughs> yeah. The, you know, the question was, what, what can you do for ERA, something along those lines? And, you know, that was one of the things I said was, look, I've been in some of these clustering spaces working on all these different areas for a long time. Where, you know, what have you guys done in this space? Like, and I, and I wasn't saying they hadn't done anything because yeah, I knew, but it wasn't prevalent or wasn't obvious. Yeah. And so that's, you know, I think that's one thing that Justin, uh, our CEO, you know, really brings to the table as well is just this idea that you, people just don't know what you're doing. You have to be able. And so that's why we're so actively engaged in events and, and our comms, you know, they're up on our website, but we got to think about new and unique ways to, evolve how we tell that story your, your website's great by the way i want to give you guys some positive feedback it's oh, easy to great. navigate the stories are big bold clear crisp yeah you know how that story is getting from here to the world that's probably another yeah. like a channel conversation yeah but from a i've been on a the odd government website through my podcast journey and i got to give you guys credit yours is well laid out the user experience and the and whoever built it and the, obviously the content is great but they still put it together in a way that was it's relatively easy to navigate and I dove down the rabbit hole this morning and very quickly I was like, I got a real good snapshot of not only what you do, but how you do it and for who and where. Anyways, just some, oh, some, some blatant feedback. And I'm also yeah, transparent. If I didn't think it was great, I just would say nothing. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I appreciate that. And so, you know, we've just had our calm strategy uh, conversation and, and, you know, we've got some things we've got now. So we've had Mark Summers, our chief innovation officer, our beloved, just a, such a unique individual. And he's, he was on the longest secondment from Alberta Innovates uh, in history. It was about eight years. And, uh, you know, he begrudgingly has gone back to take on a new role and we, we miss him dearly. We have someone new in that role. And so for us now, you know, he was such a unique storyteller, you know, and that's, that is a hard thing to do. You know, you can be really good at what you do and not very good at talking about what you do. Uh, I think, I think you at, summed up a lot of the Alberta challenge when it comes to telling our story. If we're going to yeah. talk a little bit more on the macro level, like yeah. you know, when I first started doing the podcast, it was broad economic transformation, what's going on in Alberta. And everybody's like, we just have a branding. We have a storytelling problem. Like, yeah. Unless you're here and you're directly involved in something, you probably don't really know what's going on. <laughs> and that's tough because we're also head down, ass up in this province, get work done. <laughs> well, and we're even doing that when it comes to net zero. 
you know, this is the place where it can be done. And, and Alberta doesn't stop to ask questions, right? Mm-hmm. 2009, we set up Emissions Reduction Alberta because somebody had it in their head that, you know, climate was a big deal and things were going to start changing. And, you know, Alberta responded early and because we do things. That's what we do here. And, and even in our companies, again, that's a big reason why I was employed. So I would go into these companies who had this phenomenal skill set, these brilliant people. I like, and I don't have that, right? I I may be good with people, and I'm good with systems, and I I kind of see systems thinking, and I I can put pull pieces together, which is a weird skill set, I guess. In some ways, it's a unique one. But I would work with these people who were just technically brilliant. I still do, right? I'm just baffled by how their brains work because my brain does not work that way. I hardly know how to use my iPhone. Um, but so, so, but in that, like, that's, I guess where I come in is that, that systems, uh, component to it. And, you know, so Alberta, uh, and Albertans, we just go to work and that's great. Except if you look at out East, you know, all of a sudden they get $50 million for a green hydrogen thing, whatever that was, because they were talking about doing it. And the government bought into what they were talking about. The, the, the story, right? the pitch. So that that marketing, what you do, you know, as your day job, um, and I'm sure every company, you know, is is in need of it to some degree. And it's complicated because we're B two B, we're raw materials people, we're we're commodity folks, and often I, you know, I had someone I used to work with. Um, his name's Greg Baker, and he worked at the Korea in the Korean office for the Alberta government for a long time. And and he used to just say, uh, he said a lot of really interesting things that I've actually stolen from him. <laughs> um, I didn't steal that last one from him, but uh, he said um, the the challenge sometimes for him representing Alberta companies in Korea was that they would show up with the cure for cancer in a brown paper bag. And the problem is, is that Koreans would never believe that you'd be crazy enough to show up with the cure for cancer in a brown paper bag. Like you need to make this <laughs> thing like look like, like what it is. Right. And and that's that's the challenge for Alberta companies, because we're so good and we have such great things that we don't know how to represent that well. And Albertans also aren't used to working as much with government as we now need to. Right. Net zero is expensive and it's challenging and you have to do it in a way that the government's going to be on board with. And they're not always good at communicating what that actually means. So, you know, that's where the whole industrial policy, which is another big conversation. Another, we don't another podcast for another. Yeah. So um, but, you know, that's where the lack of some of those things is a challenge for industry to try to figure out. So, that, you know, the way that that we rebuild and refocus the system is really important. ESG really plays into this. And now there's a lot of people taking aim at ESG. And to me, that's because from a systems perspective, it was never set up for success. It's actually becoming a marketing tool, just like corporate social responsibility was, which is why it was a great marketing tool for direct-to-consumer or consumer products. It's not a great tool for B2B, right? But number one, it shouldn't be a marketing tool, but that's what it's almost in a way being allowed to to become. And and now we're we're sort of maybe losing the momentum around things we actually need. Um, So, you know, that's what I love about the challenge of what I do is I get from a policy and strategy perspective to deal with problems that are too big to solve. But I actually don't believe that's true because I think every big problem actually has a solution you just have to know how to deploy the right tools uh in the right way to achieve the result that you want right i like what you said about esg a little bit around well, i like a lot of what you said but around the esg of kind of losing or getting targeted because it's becoming so if i'm in a group an individual an organization full of individuals that not, are not quite sure how to tell our story and i just right. grab this esg acronym off the shelf and start using yeah. it as a marketing tool can really see where that will quickly lose its impact or lose maybe yeah. its intention as a system of metrics and measurements and performance that all of a sudden is getting flown around like a flag and then people start yeah. to dismiss it. Like, what is it? Familiarity breeds contempt. You get so over-familiarized with a term maybe and and not the right version of the term that all of a sudden you start to like, ah, it's just another greenwashing. It's just another corporate responsibility. Yeah. It's just another XYZ. 
Because you're right, these aren't this. This is just the latest iteration. These these cycles have existed for a while. If ESG doesn't become a second balance sheet, this is the ba- the most basic way I can explain something that's incredibly complicated. If ESG doesn't become a second balance sheet in the way that the traditional balance sheet is, corporations as a whole are very blunt. I, I often, you know, to be frank, I call them kind of stupid things, right? Because it's a group of a small amount or a large amount of people doing something that is focused on um, achieving a result, which is make money, make money, make money. So even if you're a non-value add within the system, like a safety person, mm-hmm. and trust me, safety people are not non-value add. That's what but when we talk about balance sheets and P&Ls, I, I appreciate it. Which side do yeah. you live on? Do you live on the expense side? Do you live on the revenue that's right. side? Like, yeah. So sooner or so later, cha- it'll get boiled down to that. Often that's right. Yeah. And the two challenges we have right now is one, carbon's being viewed as a waste. And as a manufacturing guy, that hurts my feelings like you wouldn't believe. But it has to be treated like a waste right now, right? And so corporations, when they're doing these really difficult calculations around what technologies to adopt, don't have, other than a carbon pricing market, which is, again, super complicated, really juvenile in its initial you know, structure, and where, which is why something like Tier is, can be a powerful tool for uh, something like this. But if we don't treat ESG as a balance sheet, the problem is that you do the same thing, all right, as an organization, whatever that is, you sell a widget, you sell a barrel of oil, uh, you sell a bag of concrete, whatever it is that you do, right? You, ha- you have no way to account for the things you're doing to make the world a better place, okay? That's the, the first problem with ESG not being a balance sheet. So when it is a balance sheet, and whether it's through a carbon pricing mechanism or whether it's through uh, OSFI, the, the folks who control the accounting rules, allowing you to take credit in unique ways for the good things you're doing for the environment or, or socially. And that's where the governance element actually comes in is how you tell that story is where the governance component actually comes in. Uh, and so we have these complex systems that, that aren't being used. So the simplest way is this balance sheet is a way for corporations to go, okay, we have our traditional balance sheets that we've run on, lots of accounting rules for, and there's ways for us to tell our, our financial story through that mechanism, right? And we all know that over the years, people have cheated that system and done weird things and and so in ESG, but likely we, we, the same but, thing. And we make movies about it. And we, you know, yeah. I think we've all seen the smartest guy in the room, the Enron story. There was some creative accounting went on there. But to your but, point, there's some standardization that can be, if yeah. I look at two balance sheets from companies that I might not even know what they do, I can yeah. I can see what's going on. Yeah. You know, we're oversimplifying, but that is the intent. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where, but the oversimplification, mm-hmm. it has to be where we start. And, and getting it wrong and again, that's why sometimes I think we're kind of afraid of an industrial policy or we're, uh, and not, I say the royal we, right? This is my, my putting feelings on a group of people. But when we don't have these things in place that are likely going to be wrong, we have nothing to argue about. Yeah. Like, so that, that's what's good about a policy is it's arguable. You might not like it. But then you can have groups of people that come together. There's lots of mechanisms inside of government that are there to listen to the things that people don't or companies don't like about policies. But when those policies don't exist, we're actually talking about things that in a way that we can't come to terms with because we're just throwing things out there. It's not written. It's not in legislation. It's not in a policy. It's not, it's not formalized. And same with ESG. If it's not formalized, then we're all just doing it our own way. And you see that with the great tools being developed by people uh, uh, the ESG tools being developed, a lot of the digital tools are phenomenal things, but they have seven different um, best practices to pull from. And then you get to choose. Nanette Nanette and I talked about this at length actually on our podcast because that was one of her concerns. We just talked broadly even east to western Canada versus north versus south of the border and how the lack of consistency was a big part of what she believed was a cornerstone challenge. And we were speaking very broadly. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, I I think there's those how, things how, for how us would we, we how are we going to get there? Hmm. 
And now I'm putting, now I'm making you the expert on this topic because that's what happens on these shows. So, you know, what, as you see the road ahead, I appreciate the way you've unpacked it. And a few guests have talked about it. You've all talked about it a little bit differently, but it's all around that lack of, I love the balance sheet approach because you go, well, if that's your balance sheet and it's been audited, I can trust it and I can read it. I can understand what it is and how you managed it or manipulated it or influenced it led to how I now see your company. We don't have that for ESG. Yeah. (laughs) And until we do, there's a real risk that's just going to get turned into a flag waving exercise and and then disrespected in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the, the real benefit that it's had up till now is that investors cared. And and investors to a degree, some of them still care, but they're going to start caring less and less as we water down this tool. So that was the game changer to me when it came to a lot of, you know, net zero type activities was when investors started to care and they started to put their money behind um, what they believed in, uh, that was an important signal, a really big change. And again, you know, finance guys and the financial system as a whole is a mechanism that can be kind of dumb. Like all of the, I, I use that word, you know, really in a, in a very specific way, because when I look at groups of things, it doesn't have a brain but it has a process or a system or a way of working. And so if we apply something just to that bigger picture without really thinking about it, then, then we start a challenge. So if you were to ask me, you know, how to apply something to a big system so that it actually starts to evolve and change, it's when we get good at, um, whether it's through strategy, being specific about where we're going and what our vision is, whether it's through policy, um, you know, being specific and clear about what we care about, and what we want to see happen, whether it's through legislation, the rules of the game by which we are all going to play and how those systems are big and clunky and they move really slow. And and the problem with that is when they move slow, they don't actually allow any of us who are, you know, within the system turning the little dial, the, the little dials to to do it the, the accurate or the best possible job to get to the vision that we actually want to get to. So tools like a balance sheet for ESG, which again is a very simplistic idea, but the beauty is it's an idea you can argue and you can talk about, well, how do we actually do this? What we have to get better at across everything in our regulatory systems, in the way we develop policy, but even in industry, right? The way we work with government, the way we collaborate uh, on major projects together, we have to do this much faster than we're currently doing. And and we're not used to that as a whole. And so there's a culture change systemically across government, across industry that is happening, but it's again happening at too slow of a rate in many ways. The challenge now for us as Canada is, you know, ERA 2009 is when we started. We were ahead of the game like crazy. And then a trillion dollars gets dropped in the USA and Anybody who's any good at anything that they've been doing for the last decade or so in Alberta, boy, that's uh, sure a compelling thing to go follow, and start follow, looking follow for the, money. Follow, follow the money. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I don't, I don't actually believe because I know again it goes back to the system. You drop a trillion dollars or a billion dollars or whatever into any system, that doesn't mean it's going to get spent well. Doesn't mean it's going to no, be done properly. It's, it's going to get spent, but the well yeah. is, is a quantifier. We don't know it, that doesn't that that's not a foregone. Actually, it would almost imply that maybe it won't be because now it's, it's, when there's free flowing money, sometimes the best ideas get light of day. They shouldn't, or the, sorry, not the best light of the worst ideas sometimes get elevated. There's a whole bunch of factors at play. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I always say that, um, so I call myself a dumb business guy. Um, and, and I've worked for some of the smartest entrepreneurs that there are. And those entrepreneurs taught me a lot. Um, and I hope, in some ways, I, I taught them something along the way. Um, but there's a difference between entrepreneurs and business people. And I always say that uh, one of my sayings is that um, just like there's no crying in baseball, there's no feelings in business. To be a great entrepreneur, you actually you know have to love what you do. Uh, you have to have a passion for it because especially in the early days when you're sitting in a room by yourself, you know, having a conversation with yourself about why the heck did I ever get into this in the first place? If you don't have that voice in your head telling you to keep going, then you have a problem. Now, as a business guy, I don't have that voice. 
right? But I also don't care about how you built your business or what you do. My job is to bring the cold, sober light of day into it and say, hey, great job. This is really interesting what you've done. Um, this is how you, you know, can go and do it better. But, and we have a huge amount of entrepreneurs in Alberta, passionate people who love what they do. And I have nothing but respect for that. In fact, I wouldn't be employed without it. I wouldn't be here today without <laughs> it's, it. It's a, it's a team sport, Tom. I appreciate it. I appreciate the, the perspective you're, 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 un, you're, you're laying out. But the, but when I cast a cold, sober view over the IRA from a emissions reduction technology perspective, the other thing that keeps Alberta entrepreneurs in Alberta is they love Alberta, right? So as the cold-hearted business guy that just looks at it and goes, well, probably somewhere better you could do some of the work that you're doing right now. And that is a, you know, that should be a legitimate strike the heart of fear in, in everyone in Alberta because the best of the best in a lot of ways live here. And they live here because they love it. But the reality is we've now have an accelerator system, which has taught them to look outside of their borders, made them better business people. So maybe I'm not actually needed functionally anymore within the system because we're teaching these great entrepreneurs how to be business There might people. be some opportunities for you. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I don't want to be bold to say there is, but as entrepreneurs, and I deal with a lot of them, we can always, and they can always, we can always use some support yeah, from more right. systems-oriented individuals. Well, and so now we've got this competition in a way. So ERA, what I, again, you know, that's another reason why I want to drive us as an ecosystem, drive us as ERA, uh, drive, you know, work together with our partners to continue to create this compelling, you know, system for these entrepreneurs to utilize, to drive their ideas forward, because it is the hardest work that there is uh, in the way that it's emotionally draining. It's, you know, it is the thing that keeps you up at all hours of the night and day because you're taking a risk that is unlike, uh, you know, any other. And so I have just nothing but respect for someone that uh, I have all the skill set to do it. I've just never found anything that I was passionate enough about to drive. And so I'm there as the guy to say, okay, I'm going to help, you know, to help you make the next step and to maybe help you make some right decisions moving forward. And similar in government, I've actually came into government as a way to do two things. One, I wanted to have an impact on, uh, and I was really naive because I'd never been in government before. But <laughs> I worked, I worked in steel manufacturing and we, we had pressure vessel regulations and, and they were different from the rest of the world. And I felt like I wasn't sure why they needed to be different industry. Anyways, that's another rabbit hole. But I came into government as a way to, I'm like, well, maybe I could have an impact on that, right? And then the other thing was it was economic development. So I had helped companies to grow um, my whole career. And I thought, well, I know how to do that. Maybe I can do that on a grander scale, which is, and again, I'm not taking any uh, credit for growth catalyst, but in the early days before it was called that, um, we had the uh, Alberta Manufacturing Innovation Accelerator. Um, and we, we sort of grew what that was. Um, and it's, the catalyst is totally different today because they continue to iterate it, which I find incredibly impressive. But um, we, we were designing those things, which I found so exciting because now I could help more companies to go through um, these systems to do this. And so for me as a passion, um, you know, I continue to get to help to do that. And so we need as Albertans to continue to do what we do, which is do. And we need to, but we need to do that in a more collaborative manner. We can't be afraid to work with our partners and think of new ways to do things. And that's challenging when you have a day job and you're keeping the doors open. It's difficult to step outside of that box. And, but I can guarantee you, we need to step outside of that box. And, and then tell the story while we're doing it. Yeah. Sure. Um, thanks so much for one, your candor, your honesty. You're, you're like, we got into some, we went down some rabbit holes. You shared some personal, you know, here's my view on this and here's my view on that, which that's what I love about the show is we get to have a real conversation and it lasts long enough that we can get into the nuance. The way you unpack ESG at the end, I really, I really appreciated that. And that's, you know, one of the goals of the show is to like, let's peel back some layers. Let's dispel some of the rhetoric and get into what's really going on and maybe why it, it is working but could work better. Or, and if we don't do X, we could run off a cliff over here. I really appreciate you gave that. perspective. I really recommend, like, I'm not, I'm not blowing smoke here. Uh, er, Alberta.ca. It's a great website. You've got great content on here. 
case studies, your projects, your impacts. Like it's really, really well done. So I encourage people to go check it out. If this show did its job, it got people a little bit more curious and now they're 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 Googling this as they listen to, to the show. Um, what if somebody wants to chat with you? Because you're a guy who loves to have a good conversation. I give you a thumbs up there. Uh, LinkedIn, is there is there any preferred channel that you'd love people to reach out if if they were so inclined? Uh, LinkedIn is completely fine. I've got cool. uh, a lot of uh, folks I'm connected with there. However, Derek, uh, you know, boldly gave his email address out, and and I can't let him beat me because him and I are <laughs> I love it. Uh, are good good buddies. And so my my email address is uh, t m c c a f f e r y at e r alberta dot c a. Uh, I'm happy to connect with people as well. Um, you know, I I always think about our network as the most important thing that we do for ourselves within the business world, and then obviously it has a big impact on the way that we can do business. And so for those who, you know, don't understand networking and building a network, uh, my other piece of advice is your network needs to be cultivated. You need to continue to work on it and connect with people. You can't just meet somebody once and then go back and expect them to help you in the long run. So, so I spend a lot of time cultivating my network and, and, you know, so Tyler, unfortunately for you, you're now part of it. And, uh, Accepted. once you're in it, Accepted. you can't hey, get out hey, of it. If you, and if you really want to blow up your network, start a podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Just, say, uh, just saying it, it wasn't necessarily the intention, but it is giving me the opportunity to meet and not only meet, but meet and connect with in a meaningful way. Like, I love what you said. It's not just meet them once and then, oh, Hey, can you help me? Nothing much in life happens without a relationship. Take a little bit of time, invest, offer yeah. help. Don't. Don't go what's in it for you. Go what's in it for them. And that relationship building goes so much better. Anyway, there's my, there's Tom and Tyler's uh, network advice. <laughs> uh, it's the biggest piece of advice, especially if you're building a career. Uh, I didn't do it in my 30s. You know, I, I didn't understand the power of it or the need for it. I had a network. I didn't even really recognize that that's what it was. As I've grown in my career and recognized the power of it, I mean, I, honestly, when I have a problem to solve, uh, I don't know everyone. But I know people who know people. I, I know and enough so, people. They know everyone that I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And so when I have people, now I have people in my network like yourself. Nanette has an amazing personality and network. Justin Reimer, you know, Derek, all these folks, Kevin Krauser, all these people have amazing networks. Well, I know them. And so, again, you know, if, if I ask to say, hey, I, I got a problem here. I need I need to solve it. I now have it's, you know, that six degrees of separation thing that uh, you really need to have that in your life. And it will be the thing that differentiates you in your career. Oh, that is, that's a good mic drop moment. Tom, thanks for coming on. It was good to get to know you. I appreciated the conversation. Hour and six minutes. You might be my uh, longest podcast in a while. I had a feeling you and I might, might not run out of things to talk about. <laughs> Tom, well, that's good. It was an absolute pleasure, my friend. Pleasure. Thank you very much. <laughs>